So as we started this series last week, um, <clears throat> we uh, looked at the idea that from um, the very beginning when Jesus showed up and started calling disciples to follow him and, and getting them on board with what was going on, he made his agenda for them um, extremely clear up front, even though to them nothing was clear. But he, he told them right at the beginning what he was going to do. Um, and that was basically, he was going to turn them into something. He was going to take them through a process where he made them like him. So that's where the emphasis on the syllables go on that title. Um, and <laughs> he was going to make them like him. And then they were to turn around and do that for others. And so he said this weird thing as we looked at it last week, just the, the weirdness of the concept to us because culturally it doesn't mean as much to us. But he said, I'm going to make you something. And he didn't say, I'm going to make you holy. I'm going to make you committed. Or I'm going to make you morally pure. Or I'm going to make you religious or super disciplined. Um, it was none of this. He, he said, I'm going to make you fishers of men, which is a weird phrase. And we went through all of that last week, just the oddness of that. But basically he was saying, I'm going to make you people who go out and everything that I teach you and everything that I'm turning you into, you're going to go and you're going to do that for others. And they had no idea what he really meant when he said it. And they didn't really care to know what he meant because they, like most of us, began their following of Jesus on a very selfish level. You know, I, I started as a kid because I had heard tales of hell and, you know, fire and brimstone, and I wanted to avoid all that. So selfishly, I decided I was going to do the Christian thing. And we've all lived our Christian faith in a selfish manner to one extent or another. But, but Jesus gave us a warning. He's like, no, if you're going to follow me, I'm taking you somewhere. And I'm going to turn you into something. I'm not bringing you into this relationship and I'm not making you, um, making you like me so that you can just be a better parent, so that you can just be more um, loving to your spouse, so you can be more financially secure. And yes, there's a lot of these things that like as a byproduct of the process will happen, but that's not, that's not the main focus. He said, I'm going to make you like me and then you're going to turn around and go make others like you, which is like me by being a person that spreads my message. And even though it may be uncomfortable for some of us, and even though um, we may be in an era where it's kind of politically incorrect to talk about these things, like he says, I want you to make you, I want to make you people that bring others to me. And that's where most of us kind of put the brakes on when it comes to the whole Christian experience, because that's not really what we signed up for. Like we signed up for the, like maybe the saving part or the making life better for us part or uh, the feeling better and being able to sleep at night part. Maybe that's what we signed up for. Not this whole like spreading the message and, you know, and besides, why do we have to do that? Like everybody kind of gets there and, you know, why is it, why, 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 why bother people with my beliefs and what I think? Because after all, who am I anyway? Like, I'm not even sure that I got it all figured out. I just kind of, you know. I'm on this direction. Can't we leave well enough alone? And th there's a split that's kind of happened. And there's the idea of, of people who have gone out and begin to make others like Jesus as Jesus had made them like himself. It's gotten kind of cross along the way somewhere that there's a whole lot of going out and just trying to 
police how people behave. And that's kind of been the focus. But, but why do we need to do it at all? And today I kind of want to answer that question. And, and this, is, this is important for two groups of people. Um, the first group of people would be if you're here and, and you're a Christian and your philosophy is that I'm going to keep my faith entirely to myself. It's a personal thing. I don't need to be bothering other people with it. Other people don't want to be hearing about it from me. Um, you need to hear this because to follow Jesus, whether we like it or are comfortable with it or not, is to talk about Jesus. It's not just to be an attender of services or a prayer of prayers or a giver of offerings. Um, it's to talk about it. The second group is if you're, if you're not a Christian and not really following in on the whole thing too much um, and you're thinking, well, you know, I kind of can get onto the idea of this Jesus thing and all that, but like if talking about it is part of the process, eh, I don't know that I'm ready to go there. And so I'm glad that both groups, if you're in either of those groups, are here today. Um, and the reason that, that we've got to talk about this is because of the uniqueness of the message, because of the things that set it apart from the other messages that are out there. Out there. There, there, There's this prevailing thought that's growing larger and larger and larger that all religions kind of lead to the same place. And it's just kind of everybody's different process of figuring it out and it's all going to get there and it's just different brands and flavors, but at the core, they're all kind of the same. But that's not really true. And even if you never buy into it, you'll understand kind of, I guess, why some Christians can be so obnoxious about bothering people with this message. So today we're going to look at an incident um, with a couple of the early people who were tasked with spreading this message, making others like Jesus. Um, and we're going to look at something that happened to Peter and John um, early on, shortly after Jesus disappeared on this scene. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Acts chapter 4. Um, and when Jesus left the scene into his hands of the followers, he like had given like the metaphorical, here's what I'm going to do for you at the beginning. Here's what I'm going to make you fishers of men. Then as he was leaving, he left no doubt. He looked at him and, and, and he gave this command to go, that is uh, beyond yourselves and make disciples and make disciples. And, and so Acts is kind of the book that tells the story of the early followers of Jesus doing that what they did after he left, how they went about fulfilling that command to spread the message and to make disciples. In other words, how they decided to start making people more like Jesus, right? And so this is how the church got started. This is where we're gonna be today. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna tell this story a little out of order. I'm gonna set it up and then we're gonna kind of look at the end and then back up and look at the middle of it. Um, but we're gonna look at some verses that kind of make the whole thing easier because we make things complicated and we talk ourselves out of things. So here's how the whole thing starts. Peter and John are headed to the temple one day and they're headed to the temple to pray. Um, and on the way in, they pass, they pass a beggar on the street, on the side of the road. And this guy's crippled, can't walk. Been there all of his life. Everybody in town knows this guy and he's sitting there. And as he did with probably almost everyone that walked by, he shouted out at Peter and John and he asked for a donation, asked for money. And they stop and they look over at him, which is a good sign for the beggar because usually people would just like, you know, look the other way, lower the heads, walk quicker, get by. He was always there. Probably sometimes people were like, mm, I'm gonna walk a different way today. I can't think of any new excuses for him why I can't give him money. So I'm gonna go a different, different way. 
Yeah, because we're all good at coming up with excuses and reasons and making ourselves feel better for not doing things. And so if somebody were to stop and to look, I mean, that's kind of a good sign. Like maybe, maybe, maybe he's going to get something out of them. And so they walk over to him and they say, listen, we don't have any money. To which he was probably like, oh, huh. Well, this went bad because I thought it might be good, but they don't have money. But they're coming over and talking to me, which means they're probably getting ready to be mean to me because that was something that he experienced a lot in his life and his situation. And they were like, well, we don't have any money, but we do have something that we want to give you. He's like, okay, some kind of advice, telling me what's wrong with me. What are they getting ready to say? And they look at him and say, get up, walk. Now, I can't imagine what was going through this guy's head. Like, if you, if you all your life couldn't walk, and a couple guys walk up to you and say, walk? Like, I don't know if, like, he felt something like, oh, my goodness, I can feel my legs are getting ready to start. Maybe I'll get up and walk. But, like, I'm going to be honest. My response would be to say some not nice things to those guys because I would feel like they were mocking me, right? Like, I had this thing, and they come up, and they're just going to be so cruel to just be like, oh, just get up and walk. Why can't you do it? You know, I'd probably be, I'd let them have peace of my mind for some reason. I don't know if this guy felt something physically, just had this moment of great faith with these guys. I don't know. But imagine the dramatic moment for the people who had kind of gathered around when this guy, who they had seen for almost his entire life in this spot, not walking, begging for money, as he stands up, for the first time, walks. I mean, it had to be a pretty big deal for everybody that was there. So Peter and John, they keep on their trek and they head up into the temple, you know, kind of like, oh, all in a day's work. These kind of things happening right now. We're used to it. Okay. And the guy chases Peter down and he tells everybody around Peter, he's like, hey, hey, look at what this guy just did for me. And people were, people were looking at the guy and people were like, wait, 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 aren't you the one? Yeah, I'm the one. They just did this for me. They say, get up and walk. I walk, you know. And so now there's a large crowd gathering in the temple area. As the, as the buzz starts to spread, like, oh my goodness, something amazing has happened amongst us. And so now a huge crowd is gathered. And so Peter, as is the case throughout all of the book of Acts, Peter never lets a good crowd go to waste. He's got something to say and he's got an audience. And those two things go well together. You know, and and the thing is, is that when Peter would give his impromptu sermons, Peter gave the same sermons all the time. It was the same one over and over and over and over again. Now, I don't know if he worked in any jokes. You know, I don't know if he worked in it. You know, I don't know if any of the other guys I came in did anything. If we had a little Michael Jordan going on in the thing. I don't know. I don't know. But He gave the same sermon over and over again. So he launches into his sermon because now he's got a crowd. And it didn't matter if it was the same sermon. It didn't matter if the people had heard him give it before. It didn't even matter if some of the people were like, oh, I've heard this a few times and now I can start saying the sermon with him because I know what he's getting ready to say. It didn't matter because they had just made someone walk. And anytime somebody just causes a crippled person to get up and walk, you listen. So this crowd gathered, Peter's launching into his sermon. It's in the temple. So the religious leaders that are there, they kind of see what's going on. They come wandering over to really look at what's happening. And they find Peter and John in the temple talking 
about Jesus. And it was bad enough that this, this band of, of rebellious people believed in this person who they had killed, but to be standing in the temple, talking about him, speaking his name, I mean, that was over the top. So the religious leaders have Peter and John arrested, put in jail. Um, they, it was getting, you know, a little later in the day, maybe, I don't know. Maybe the religious leaders just wanted them to sit and think about what they had done for a while. So they didn't address them right away. They're like, you just, you just sit in jail for a little bit. Think about what you've done. Wonder about what your future is here. So they sit there. The next day, they bring, they bring them together. And they're like, okay, okay. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to have this conversation. And we're going to bring you before all the important people. And to which in the back of their mind, they're probably thinking, wow, so this is, this is the thanks you get for causing someone to be able to walk. All right, all right. Well, next day, all of the important people gather to ask him, what, what is all this about? What are you guys doing? What is going on? So what does Peter do? He launches into his sermon again, right? Except for this time, he has a little bit of a different audience. So he adds a little bit of a different flavor to his sermon. He, he throws in, in a little bit extra, right? And they're all frustrated and they won't, don't know what to do. And so they kind of send them out and they have this meeting and they decide, here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna threaten them with more jail if they keep talking about Jesus. We're gonna threaten them. That should shut them up. So they call John and Peter back in, all the important people. And they say, we well, gotta stop talking about Jesus. And this is where we pick up the story. Acts chapter four. Verse 18, so then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. In other words, this is basically the message of our culture. This is kind of where we've fallen into as people. It's fine to believe what you want. It's fine to think what you want about all this. You can raise your kids to think this stuff. That's fine. Just don't talk about it. Just don't bother everyone else with it. Just keep it to yourself. But Peter and John replied, judge for yourselves whether it is right in God's sight to obey you rather than God. So the response was, you know what? You've got to do what you think God wants you to do. And we're going to do what we think God wants us to do. And if you think you need to judge us, go ahead. But their implication to them was this. We are not going to shut up. We are not going to stop talking about this. Now, here's what's interesting about this exchange. It's because the men that, that, that in this exchange that Peter and John were talking to, these were religious men who believed in God. They, they, they believed, in fact, they were all Jewish men because early on the movement, it was a bunch of Jewish people who had followed Jesus and they still believed all of the Jewish stuff. They just wanted to add a part. Now Jesus is the Messiah all of us Jewish people have been waiting on. And so everybody standing here in the room all agreed on everything except the one new addition, the new part, the Jesus. Their belief in all the scriptures was the same. They still were, they still were in agreement on all the processes and all of it. They, they were together. But they're like, no, 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 Jesus is the one we've been waiting on that. So the religious, religious leaders, they, they were saying, and, and they were like, okay, okay, you, can, you know, we don't mind you, we're gonna have to just lighten up on the Jesus stuff. 
Just cut that part out. And their response to this issue is huge. Verse 20, they say, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. Peter and John couldn't shut up about Jesus, not because they had a different belief system. That's not why. It's not because, oh, we believe this and so we have to say this. And it wasn't, you know, your theology versus my theology. It wasn't uh, a debate over opinions, a debate over perspectives. It wasn't, hey, we have these major differences in doctrine and philosophy and about how all this stuff works, you know, and so we think this and you think that. And so we've got to have that. It wasn't, it wasn't any of that. They said, we can't stay quiet, not because we believe something, but because we saw something because we experienced something, because we went through something that has fundamentally changed us and we can't not talk about it. It is a part of who we are. They didn't just have a meeting and decide, you know, that religion needed a new character because everything had been stale for a thousand years and nothing had changed. So, you know, let's just add this Jesus character and kind of spice up Judaism a little bit and make it right. That, that, wasn't, that wasn't what happened. Something happened. It fundamentally changed them. They couldn't keep themselves from talking about it. So suddenly the religious leaders realized, oh, well, this is a thing. Right, what we're dealing, thinking we were dealing with and what we're actually dealing with are two very different things. And, and we're here trying to get them to kind of believe different, to kind of think different. And Peter and John are telling them, no, 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 this isn't about belief. This is about an experience, something we went through. Don't ask us any hard questions because we don't have all of the answers. All we know is what we've experienced. All we know is what we once were. And then because of this person, Jesus, who we now are and the difference within us, we've got to talk about these things. And you can't make us stop talking about our experience. Now, let me tell you why this whole concept and idea is so important. So because if you are a follower of Jesus and you can't talk to other people about Jesus, you're probably dealing with some of the same issues that probably at some point in time, all of us deal with. You probably have like doubts in the back of your mind, like, yeah, but what if I start talking about Jesus, okay? And they don't like get offended and leave and want to just not be my friend anymore, but they stick around. What if they ask me questions that I can't answer? Well, then I'll just look stupid. And then I'll have, you know, I'll have made it worse because then I'll look like I just believe something that, you know, that I can't back up and have no logic for. And then that just makes me, you know, irrational, whatever. And I've, you know, I've damaged it. I haven't helped it. What, what, what if they say something back to me that I can't refute, right? What, what if they have an argument that I've never heard before and it stumps me and makes me look really, really bad? Because here's what we think. We think that talking about Jesus is like giving a class on comparative religions and theologies. Like, okay, anytime we're gonna talk about it, it's like, okay, here's what's your belief system. Here's what's my belief system. Let's argue about the belief systems. And that's kind of how we think and approach talking about Jesus. That is some kind of big intellectual debate. And whoever wins the debate kind of wins the day and 
they're the ones that's more right. But that's not the case. Because talking about Jesus is not about, is not about out-knowledging skeptics. Talking about Jesus isn't about trying to convince someone of something that you believe. That, that wasn't the point. Because Christians believe that something happened in history and that we are able to have a, an interaction with God. And that through that interaction, we have become more like Jesus. And, and we believe that. And we can't explain it all. You know, I'm pretty sure I could have a conversation with most all of you, maybe not all, but most all. And I could find some aspect of the Christian faith and following Jesus that I could start asking you questions and you wouldn't be able to give me answers. And I would stump you. I could probably do that. But that's not what it's all about. It's not about things we don't have answers for. The issue isn't our belief system. The issue isn't how much knowledge. The issue is our experience with God. Are we a different person as a Jesus follower than we were before? What is the transformation that has taken place within us? Did something happen? And Peter and John were saying something happened and we've got to talk about it. We can't be quiet about it. Now, now the question is this. The question is with them. As they're talking, well, okay, what happened with them? What was so huge that they're willing to risk their lives for it? Because that's what they were talking about. And in Peter's little sermon earlier in the story, it was all about uh, the people who brought them to talk. We'll go back to verse five, when they bring them out of prison the first time. The next day, the rulers, elders, and teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there. Now, I can't overemphasize how big of a deal it was that that guy was there, right? That would be like, that would be like if you got in trouble and it wasn't just the cops that were there and then it wasn't just like the judge that was there and it wasn't just like, you know, the, the attorney general of the state of Georgia was there. It was like, no, 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 like big, like attorney general of the United States walks in on your case, like, like, <laughs> you're in trouble, right? That's what it was like for this guy to show up to this meeting. There was no one higher than him in the religious system, which was the cultural system. This guy was the only guy in the world that was allowed to go into the Holy of Holies, the area behind the thick curtain where the Ark of the Covenant was kept, where they believed that the spirit of God dwelt. He was the only one that was able to go in there. It really existed. You could touch it, the Ark of the Covenant, when you went in there. He, he, he was the only one, nobody else. This guy, he was as close as you could get to God on earth, to the Jewish people. And here he is sitting at this meeting. And so were Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and the other men of the high priest family. Caiaphas was the high priest before Annas. So that means not only did you have the big guy, you had the last big guy, both big guys, right? Very famous, this guy, very famous in secular history. You can find all kinds of extra big, uh, biblical resources on this guy. And we don't know who exactly John and Alexander were, but those in the first century knew him. And all of those guys showing up for the same meeting was some heavy duty stuff. So they had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. Now, here we go. Here, here's, here's their issue. We have a guy running around. 
who's never taught, who's never walked before. Can't deny that. We got to do something about it. We know you guys didn't pull this off on your own. We know something is going on, right? You got to have some kind of secret power, magic trick. What gives, guys? What gives? So here's the question that they ask. By what power or what name did you do this? Before we get into all of the theology and the debate, guys, we need to, you know, let's shortcut that. How did you do it? How'd you do it? And this is great. Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness, which was a stab at them, what are you really bringing us here for, right? You arrested us for healing a guy. No good deed goes unpunished, right? We're being called into account today for an act of kindness shown to a cripple and are asked how he was healed. Then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Now, when they said Christ, which that term Christ was insinuating, we believe he was the Messiah that we were waiting on this whole time. Some of the guys in that room winced, right? Because they're like, ah because they had been in the presence of Jesus. And it was at this point that I think Peter deviated from his normal sermon. And he kind of throws a finger pointed in their direction. He says, it's by the name Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified. <laughs> Imagine being so bold and defiant in front of such important people. But he was basically like, memory check, guys. Remember, remember, you, you killed him. Annas, Caiaphas, you were, you were at the trial. You guys were there. You oversaw the whole thing, right? And this wasn't years ago. This was weeks ago. This is fresh in everyone's memory. You guys had broken your own law to try and convict him. You hired people to be witnesses against him. You all know very well the person of Jesus. And Peter and John, who, who were there by themselves, it was just the two of them. They didn't have any emotional or moral or physical support. Surrounded by guards, right? Said, we did this by the name of Jesus. You remember him. And it probably gets real quiet. Peter keeps going in his sermon. He says, but whom God raised from the dead. You wanna know why we can't be quiet? You wonder why? It isn't because of a new theology. It isn't because of a new religion. It isn't because we were trying to start some new cult and get a following going on. We can't be quiet because you guys crucified him and then God rose him from the dead and we spent time with him. And we are different because of it. You wanna know why we can't be quiet? It's not because of our intelligence, our IQ, our intellect. It's not because we have the answer to every question that you could sit here and pose to us today. It's because of what we experienced, what we saw, something happened. So do what you will, but because of what happened, we cannot stay silent. Now, let, let me give you my version of what happens next. And I wouldn't suggest writing this down because <clears throat> it's probably not got a whole lot of, credit to it. But he says, basically he says to him, hey guys, do you remember that verse that all of you memorized when you were a child? When you were a child growing up and you were doing your memorization, you remember that there was, there was one verse that was prophesied about the coming Messiah. And in the prophecy, it talked about people 
who would not recognize him. And David compares those people to builders who are gonna build a building, right? And they, and they, and they find a stone and they look at this stone and they look it over and they say, mm, no, this stone's no good. We cannot use this. And they throw it away. Well, God's gonna take that stone. So the prophecy goes. God's gonna take that stone and he's gonna use it as the cornerstone to the whole thing, to the whole building. And remember how you would read it and you think, who would have the audacity? Because it was clear to them that the cornerstone was talking about the Messiah on which everything would build. Who would have the audacity to have in their possession the stone? To have in their midst the Messiah and reject him? I mean, that was unthinkable as a Jewish person. Who, who would do that? Who would stand in the presence of the Messiah and not be able to recognize him? John and Peter look at him and say, well, guess what, guys? You're famous because this prophecy was about you. You're the ones. You handled and touched and stood in the presence of the Messiah and you killed him. You killed him. All of your life, you wondered who would be so stupid? Who would be so arrogant? Who would be so blind as to miss this? Guys, it's you. Congratulations. You are the fulfillment of a prophecy. Good work, good work. But he rose from the dead. You couldn't end it. And you wonder why we won't be quiet? Now, let me read the verse that's actually there and you're gonna wonder like, how did you get all that out of it? Okay, <laughs> says, verse 11, well, come, yeah, come off, a, come off a 10. He says, whom God raised from the dead, he is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the capstone. Okay, so I extrapolated a lot out of that little verse, but that's the verse they were referring to. And those guys knew it as soon as he brought up the rejected capstone, knew exactly what he was talking about. They keep going, salvation is now not future tense, Salvation is found in no one else. And this was new information to them. What do you mean no one else? Salvation's always been found in a what? What you do, the process. Don't you mean in no thing else? No, no. Yeah, yeah, guys, because you're missing it. Salvation's about like the law and sacrifice and pleasing God and prayer. You know, it's all about performance. What do you mean? What do you mean salvation can be found in no one else? Peter keeps going, for there is no other name or no other process, no other code of conduct, no other list of rules or commandments under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. In other words, I, I don't have all the answers. I, I, I don't, there, there, there's a lot of things that you could sit here and ask me and grill me about. And I would not be able to give you satisfactory, theologically sound, scholarly answers that would satisfy you. But I know this, I know I experienced something and I know that experience changed who I am fundamentally. And I know because of that change, I cannot be quiet. I've got to talk about it. I've got to talk about it. We've got to let people know about what has happened in our lives. And the response from the religious leaders is great. Verse 13, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished 
And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. In other words, they were like, huh. So being with Jesus, becoming like Jesus, having their experience with Jesus has indeed fundamentally changed these men. And that was pretty gutsy to stand there and lecture the religious leaders who carried all the weight in society on salvation and the Messiah. But it wasn't a stretch. It wasn't difficult for them. Why wasn't it difficult? Because they were just talking about their experience. And this is where so many of us get caught up in this whole idea of spreading this message and, and making disciples of other people. This is where we get it's so where we got caught up because in the same way that Jesus made the disciples like him, you know, and by like him, remember the whole, you know, love one another. People will know you're my disciples, right? Because of the love you show for one another, the way you treat your neighbors. By doing that, he changed them from what they were to what he was. And he's done the same thing with you if you've really decided you're following Jesus. Now, some of you may be in different stages of the process. Some of you may be like all full on, like, yep, I've got it. I'm really good at loving others. Some of you may have started so unloving <laughs> that you've come a long way, <laughs> but people might look at you and be like, oh, you're still not very loving, but you're like, I'm getting there. I got patience, patience. It's all a spectrum. And I'll admit, my natural tendency, I was way on the not loving side. <laughs> and I'm, I've been coming, 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 coming. I'm getting there. I probably have moments where I could rightfully be accused of not loving. But here's the thing, within this whole, we get so much anxiety about we've got to get the information right. We've got to answer the right questions. Will people be offended if I'm bringing this stuff? And you know, we've got all of these things that are going on in my mind. But you don't have to know the answers, because you're not debating anything. You don't have to be able to articulate a full theological structure because you're not trying to convince someone of a theology. You don't have to be smarter than every person that you decide to talk to about Jesus so that you don't get put in a bad situation because it is not. Listen, this is, this is where we get, this is where we get, the church has gotten really way off. It is not our job to convince people of our beliefs. That's not our job. In fact, that's a burden we can't bear. You can't convince someone to believe something different. It just doesn't work. It comes from experience. All you can do is talk about your experience. Who were you before Jesus who are you now? Talk about that. And if the who you were before Jesus looks the same as you now, then you've got a whole lot of introspection to do on if you're really following Jesus or not. Or if you're just in a social club that feels some kind of need inside of you and that your religion is still extremely selfish. And so as Jesus set up his guys to go out and to spread this message, like he made it really simple 
And this is where, this is where we've gotten really, really lost kind of as a church because it's like, first we like try to convince through argument, right? And it's not too difficult to see people who argue. But then we like not, it's just not good enough to try and convince through argument because even if somebody gives into our argument or not, then we're like, okay, well, maybe they're not believing the same, but doggone it, we're gonna make them behave the same. And so we try and police people's behavior and try and, um, you know, enforce or, or make legal liabilities towards violating what our laws and ideas and principles are within our following of Jesus. And we try and create and shape and force culture to be what we want it to be. And it's not bad enough that we do this within our own country. Oh my goodness, we're really good at sending ourselves around the world and telling people where they're wrong and trying to make them behave like us, right? Because we've got this weird idea of what it means to go and spread this message and make disciples. I mean, my goodness, there, there was, <laughs> I was, unfortunately, came across a, a, a video of a missionary in Uganda <laughs> this week. Anybody see this video? Oh my goodness. A Christian missionary to Uganda and he's standing and he went to check into this hotel and somehow along the way, he felt he was mistreated. And so this guy decides he's gonna go behind the counter and he's gonna destroy all the things behind the counter. And he's gonna be throw punches at these people. And while he's literally throwing punches, which my goodness, he was, he was, he was a smaller guy and he was throwing punches at like this big dude. <laughs> and luckily this big dude was just like slapping him away not retaliating because he could have crushed him like a bug. The whole time he's just yelling, you know, ah, you hate Jesus. And like, and we're like, like, what in the world is he talking about? Like, what, what is happening? And he's just like yelling, like, you have to, you have to do what I say. And, and I'm like, what's going on? And then, and then he turns and, and he sees that somebody's video on the thing. And it gets really weird because literally out of his mouth, and I'll censor myself a little bit, but out of his mouth, well, he gives the camera the bird while trying to throw unseen shots at this other guy who's graciously just deflecting, he says, yeah, go ahead and record. F Uganda. I came here to serve Uganda and love Uganda. You hate Jesus. I'm just like, oh my gosh. Shows up (laughs) to spread this message. And as soon as they didn't conform and behave and do exactly what he wanted to do and be exactly what he wanted them to be, oh, the love, the service is gone. And while that's a pretty extreme example, you don't see that, there's a reason that, (laughs) there's a reason that video made the news. The principle's the same. Not so extreme, but the actions are there. Behave as we want you to behave or we reject you. We judge you. We other you. And then we wonder why when we decide we want to talk about Jesus, people aren't interested. And so this is a whole thing that we've got to overcome, that we've got to change because this is kind of the established of what, how people see religious people now within our culture. But Jesus is like, okay, I don't know, I don't know if he, uh, yeah, he was really smart. And so he knew, okay, this is how it's gonna get rolling. And he probably knew at some point in time, it's gonna get off the rails. 
And if it's going to come back, the same formula is going to bring it back. So guys, here's what it is. Here, here, here it is. Let me break it down for you. I want to make you like me, which means I want you to love and serve others. And then I want you to turn around and repeat the process. Jesus did that with the disciples. He made them like him. And then he said, now go, turn around and repeat the process. And so they did. And it began to spread and it changed the world. And then it got way off the rails. But luckily, here we are, here we are. And we've got to continue. And we've got to kind of do our part to get it back to what it was originally intended to be. And so if you freak out about talking Jesus, you're thinking about it all wrong. You think it means something, it doesn't. It's really simple. Here's what you got to do. Love others. And then just talk about how you're different. Talk about your experience, who you were and who you are. You don't have to tell people they have to change. You don't have to judge them. You don't have to shun them if they don't respond the way you want to to the message. It's simple. You don't have to defend anything. You don't have to structure anything. You don't have to change anybody's beliefs. You don't have to, there's not a quota that you have to meet. You don't have to get them into church for it to count and you get your checkbox on spreading the message. Like none of that, none of that. But we put all of this stuff on it. We make it so difficult and so intense and so intimidating. It's not, it's not. Make sure you're following Jesus so that you love the way Jesus loved and then conversations will happen. Talk about that. It's not really that difficult. But if you're gonna follow Jesus, he made it clear from the beginning, this is expected of you. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I, Lord, for some of us, you know, we've, God, we've grown up in the culture of don't talk religion or politics. And in the environment in with which we are in today, both of those things seem as volatile as they ever have been. But Lord, I pray this week that, that you begin to change our thinking on what this means. Lord, that you begin to help us to, first of all, be able to look and understand the difference within our own life that is a result of our experience with you. Where we once were, the changes that have occurred inside of us, the way that we are different, the way our experience has impacted who we are. And Lord, if our experience with you has not impacted us, show us where we're missing it, if we're still living a self-centered faith. Help us to be real followers of you, to begin to love others. And as we love others, Lord, I pray you make some of these conversations natural and easy. And that we know that our job is to talk about our experience with you, not to convince others of anything. Lord, that comes from us not trusting you to do your part in the process. Lord, I thank you that, that there is indeed something different within us when we follow you. Now just give us the courage and the boldness to do for others what someone at one point did for us and encourage them to begin 
to think about you in perhaps a little bit of a different light. Lord, I thank you for your mercy and for your grace in your name. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, and we'll see you next week.